0: I want to draw your attention to a couple of announcements while we're doing that. Most of our announcements are right here in our yellow brochure, so you don't necessarily need to read them. I don't need to read them out. But I do want you to go check out our website, RedeemerVirginiaBeach.com. It is downright cool. Uh, We upload video of all of our sermons. We have an events calendar there that's being kept up to date. Uh, If you can find a better looking website than ours, I will pay you large money. So uh, it's a great place to send people uh, who say, hey, what's, what's this about your church? I want to learn a little bit more about it. I want to make a couple announcements. Is Rachel Broderick in the, ca- in the crowd? Where is Rachel? Do you mind standing up for a second? Rachel is heading up our new uh, youth uh, high school and middle school ministry. So she is our, our battery to help jumpstart us for the fall. So if you're interested in learning more or getting involved with, um, with uh, high school and middle school ministry, she is the gal, and she is a professional professional hanger-outer. So uh, she, she knows what she's doing, too. Her degree was in youth ministry. Uh, so look for events on our calendar about things coming up for our youth. Uh, also want to draw your attention, after this service, about 10, 15 minutes after the service, we're going to rearrange this room, and we are going to have Redeemer 2.0. This is our vision and direction meeting. It's a series of three meetings, but this one is probably the most important one. If you want to know where we're going you want to be uh, at this meeting. So encourage you, grab a bagel, grab some coffee, and come back, and we're going to do that together. Those times are also functioning as our inquirer seminar. So if you want, are interested maybe looking at membership in this church, you're going to want to stay for those meetings because they're one of our requirements for membership. Now, one final announcement. I want to bring up Derek, a.k.a. the Promised Land Canaan. Uh, Derek heads up our children's church uh, effort, and uh, we've got a lot of neat things coming up in the fall and I, I just appreciate his heart. He loves your kids. And so I wanted to ask him a couple of questions here. Derek, what are you excited about regarding Children's Church coming up?
1: Well, I'm excited because we've got a brand new curriculum on the promises of God. It's going to be fantastic. It's a uh, curriculum that will give the children an opportunity to uh, memorize some scripture and to do some things that will, I, th- I believe, regardless of their age, will challenge them as they go along.
0: Excellent. What's what's so important about children's church? I mean, why why do we have it in the first place? as supposed well, to be in here. When
1: you get the only commandment that all of us have obeyed—that's really the beginning of time—consistently is to be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> the every you know the Hindus do it, the Muslims <laughs> do it, the atheists they, and so there's little rugrats running around everywhere. And uh, the bottom line is this: I would challenge you. Uh, I I need some people to help me. If you've got a teaching background great. If you just love kids, great. We can do some things together to help them become the the men and women that the Lord would intend.
0: Uh, That's great. So what are you excited about most for this fall?
1: Well, this fall, uh, I'm basically excited uh, about the curriculum, about the fact that I know that there's some folks sitting out here right now that can help us. I would just close with this one challenge. Uh, This afternoon, go into the latter part of Luke chapter 2. There's a couple of cool old people there, Anna and Simeon. They were people that in their youth and in their old age loved the Lord. And my goal for all the children is at the end of their life, however long that may be, they will say the same thing that Simeon said. He said, dismiss thy servant in peace. And you've got to remember, too, the last verse of Luke chapter 2 says that Jesus himself grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So he he grew mentally, uh, he grew physically, he grew spiritually, and he grew socially. And you and I would probably agree that this world is a place that can really take anybody and swallow them up for the devil's purposes.
0: Thank you so much, Derek. Appreciate it. Pray for Derek. Thanks for... uh coming on up here. You know, Derek's a learned guy. He actually has his master's in Christian education, so we've, we've got a really talented guy helping out our kids. I want to invite you to turn to our scripture today, which can be found in your uh, Bibles and your rows at page 757. We're going to be looking at Acts 3, 11 through 26. Acts 3, 11 through 26. You'll remember last week that Jesus has healed a, a, a broken beggar, a paralytic beggar, Uh, who has been raised, who has never walked before, and he has gone into the temple praising God. And at this, this creates a tremendous commotion. And people are coming around, and they're trying to figure out what is going on here. So this is Peter's response to the crowd that has gathered at this miracle that has occurred. So we'll read together. Uh, Excuse me, I will read Acts 3, 11 through 26, somewhere around 757 of your Bible. Peter speaks to the onlookers. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leader's. But this is how God fulfilled what He had foretold through all the prophets, saying that His Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that He may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets, from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God has made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, All peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, as we examine your word, we pray that you would show us the truth resident in it. Lord, we pray that your truth would not only inform us, but it would transform us, Lord, more into your likeness. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you are familiar with this concept called viral marketing? Viral marketing is very interesting. Taking the internet by storm, It, it basically goes like this. Somebody uploads something on the internet, whether it's to YouTube or to Twitter or MySpace or something like that, and it's so clever or outrageous or even stupid that people look at it and they go, this is unbelievable. And they send an email to a buddy of theirs, and he looks at it. And he sends it to a couple people, and before you know it, this video is spreading like wildfire throughout the entire Internet. Now, I'm sure you've seen all the jumping cat and all the goofy stuff out there. Well, this hasn't been lost on major corporations. See, major corporations say, wow, there's something going on. There's a phenomenon. I need to find out a way to cash in on this. So uh, recently, uh, I don't know if you've seen these uh, Internet ads that went uh, viral on the Old Spice Guy Isaiah Mustafa, have you seen, he's he's this handsome guy, and he's sort of, I'm your man, I'm the old spice guy. Hilarious videos. He just did these videos, released them, and they were so funny that people started sending them around. Uh, 1.15 billion page views later, this campaign was an ultimate success. Well, not to be outdone, Gillette uh, recently uh, released a video with the U.S. Open going on about Roger Federer. I don't know if anyone has seen this, but Federer's in a photo shoot famous tennis player, and he's done with the photo shoot. And so he gets a bu- uh, this uh, guy and he has him stand over here and he puts a soda can on his head. And he walks over like to right where the doors are and he tees up a serve as hard as he can and just knocks it clean off of his head. And then he goes ahead and he does it again. And it is unbelievable. I mean, I sent this thing to people. I'm like, you've got to watch this because it looks so real. But the question, of course, is... Is it? We don't really know. You know, they asked Roger Federer and Federer's response was simple. He simply said, a magician never reveals his secrets. Well, it's easy to be suspicious, isn't it? In this world of Photoshop and virtual reality and airbrushing, we never can be quite sure what is true and what isn't. And though it leads to some very interesting entertainment, it also leads to a lot of skepticism. We're not so quick to be taken in by something that maybe we would have believed at the first and realized then that we've been duped. Our relationships with one another become more guarded. We're we're guarded against the media. We're guarded against corporations. And we're guarded and maybe even a little jaded and skeptical with one another. Perhaps that's why the media pundits have called us the most jaded and skeptical generation of our time. Well, we see skepticism even back here, all the way back in the day with this crowd, where a crowd is gathered and they've seen a miracle that's been performed. And they're not sure what to make of it. They're astonished and they're bewildered. On one side, they want to believe that what they see in front of them is true, and yet on the other side, they're hesitant, not willing to be drawn in by something that's fake. It's easy for us to join in that crowd, isn't it? We see the miracles of Jesus, even more so the promises that He gives, that He's the way, the truth, and the life, and... We want to hope, and yet at the same time, we don't want to be taken in. We don't want to be fooled again. And so we live in this netherworld where we're so fascinated that we can't quite walk away, and yet we're so skeptical that we can't seem to move forward. Where do we go from here? The answer is we must move forward, but how? We must move forward in faith. Not a blind faith, mind you, but a reasonable faith based on acceptable and approved evidence. We must have faith to move forward because it's only when we choose to see Jesus as he truly is that we will experience what Jesus truly gives. It's only when we choose to see Jesus as he truly is that we will experience what Jesus truly gives. Well, seeing requires two things as we look in this passage that explains to us. First, that we must recognize Jesus' true identity. We must recognize who he is. And then we must respond to this one that we recognize. And as we recognize him and respond to him, Jesus comes back to us and he refreshes us by giving us to himself. So these are the three things we're going to talk about, recognizing and responding, and Jesus is part of refreshing. Well, how do we recognize this one called Jesus? Peter gives us the answer in verse 13, where he says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of your fathers, has glorified this one Jesus. We recognize Him because God has glorified Him. What does this term glorified mean? We kind of understand it in our world. It's sort of to ascribe uh, value and fame and worth to someone, usually either because of their title or because of something they've done. You know, in the 17th century, if you saw a king or a nobleman or someone, you would glorify them. You would ascribe worth to them because of their title. Or if they had done a great accomplishment, they were a knight or a soldier or something. But in this age of skepticism, more and more we don't give glory to people because of their title. Rather, we give glory to them because of what they've done. The Gallup organization has kept a poll since 1930 asking Americans who are the most admired people in America. And at the end of the century, they compiled their data to figure out who is the most admired people of the century. And the top two people, not surprisingly to me, were Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King. Not their titles, but because of what they had done. Mother Teresa with her love and care for the impoverished, and Martin Luther King with his uh, love and care for the oppressed. In fact, this word glory in Hebrew is uh, called kavod, kavod which can also be meant as heaviness or weight. See, it was the weight of Mother Teresa's life. It was the weight of Dr. King's life that impacted the world and continues to resonate out. But notice who it is in this passage that has glorified God. Excuse me, glorified Jesus Christ. It's not the people. Rather, it's God who has glorified him. In verse 13, the God of your fathers has glorified him. And Peter directly contrasts that with the people that have sought not to glorify him, but rather to shame him. Verse 13, you handed him over people to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. In fact, it says that he disowned him twice. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be released in his stead. And then finally, you killed the author of life. You know, Peter knows all too well that only several months ago, a crowd in a square stood as Jesus was before the people and the people chanted out, Crucify Him, crucify Him, away with this man. See, the people sought to put a verdict on Jesus of shame, but that verdict would not stand. Because we see in verse 15 that God has raised Him from the dead. See, the glory that God has given, how do we know that this is the glorified one? This glory is not based on subjective suppositions, but rather an objective reality. We don't have to guess what God thinks of this Jesus. It's easy for us to know, because He has glorified Him by raising Him from the dead. And Peter says, we are witnesses of this. Keep in mind, this was Peter, only several weeks ago, who was cowering in a corner, refusing to admit even to a servant girl that he was associated with Jesus. And yet here he is, several months later, standing in front of thousands of people saying, God has glorified this Jesus, raising him from the dead, and you are witnesses, and I am witnesses of it. Over centuries, the best legal minds have taken a look at the case of the resurrection, looking at it on the basis of the evidence that has been given. And time and time again, some of the greatest legal minds in history have come to the conclusion that there is adequate proof and evidence for the resurrection. If you want to look more into that, I invite you to go onto our website, RedeemerVirginiaBeach.com, and go to a sermon called The Return of the King, where I talk more about this. And so we must recognize Him because God has glorified Him, but Peter says you must also recognize Him because God has chosen Him. Look in verse 22, when he alludes to Moses, and says, Moses, Moses has spoken of one who would come, a prophet like him, that you must listen to. Remember that Moses was the mediator. He is the prophet of all prophets, the one who God would speak with, not in riddles, but face to face, the mediator between God and man. And Moses said, there would be one who would come after me, a prophet like me, who would bless the whole world, you must listen to him. And so Peter is basically attacking these people, saying that of all people you should know, you should recognize that this is the one that God has been calling for from the beginning. On Saturday night, there was a break-in. It wasn't surprising that there was a break-in, for these men were talented and skilled Jew thieves. And so they were able to break through the alarm system because it was somewhat dated, and they proceeded to enter into the jewelry store. That was no surprise. What was surprising, though, was what they did once they got inside, because they stole nothing. In fact, for the next hour, all they proceeded to do was to switch the price tags on everything. They took the most expensive jewels and took the price tags and took them off and put them on the cheap jewelry that looked somewhat similar. And they took the price tags of the junk and put them on the most expensive price tags. And then they left, undetected and unnoticed. What was even more amazing is when the store opened for business the next day. Because nobody recognized. In fact, for the next two weeks, no one recognized. Cheap jewelry was going for exorbitant prices while rare jewels were being sold for spare change. The employees of the store weren't trained gymnologists. None of them thought to even look. They simply looked at the price tag and decided it was so. And the customer came along and looked at the employee, the supposedly learned employee, who explained to them that's the price. And based on that, bought. It was only two weeks later, when an experienced gymnologist came in, that the discovery occurred, and there were a lot of upset people. They switched the price tags, but nobody noticed. How true is that for our world, isn't it? How true is it of Jesus Christ? And so we must not commit the same mistake. It is only when we choose to see Jesus as who He truly is that we can experience what Jesus has truly done. How do we do that? We must determine value correctly. We must accept no counterfeits. We must set our price tags correctly. See, we all have our own little set of price tags, don't we? Little values that we assign to things out there in the world, whether it's a car or a house or my job or you name it. Little price tags, little values that we assign. But there's one price tag that stands above all other price tags. This is the bigger price tag, the biggest price of all. Because this, on this price tag is basically my heart, my worship, my meaning, my significance, We may call this something else, we may call it our soul. And we assign this price to something or someone, and to whatever we assign it to has tremendous power over us because we are basically giving our value to that person. What have you assigned your price tag to? Maybe there's that special someone in your life, whether it's a spouse, a husband, or a wife, maybe a child, maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend maybe even a friend, that you've given this price tag of your life to. But here's the, mat- here's the truth of the matter. No one can handle the kavod of this price tag. They will either buckle under the responsibilities and pressures of being God, or they will use it to dominate and enslave you. And so we must take off this price tag and place it where it belongs, on Jesus Christ. Because it is only when we choose to see Jesus as who He truly is that we can experience what Jesus has truly done. Well, how do we do that? How do we take this price tag off the things that we have done and put it in its proper place? We do that through recognizing, and then we do it through responding. Responding means to repent and return. How do we do this? How do we return? Well, Peter, in verse 16, sets up a contrast. He spent the time talking about the people who have not recognized Jesus. He then turns his attention to the beggar. The beggar, while the people did not accept Jesus, the beggar did accept him. While the people did not recognize him, it was the beggar that saw him for who he was. How did the beggar manage to see what no one else could see? He saw through faith. Look in verse 16, it is by faith in the name of Jesus that this man whom you see and know was made strong. In fact, it could be translated in the Greek, on the basis, on the foundation of faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see was made strong. It is faith in the name of Jesus. Now when he's talking about the name of Jesus, he's talking about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. In our world, names are very abstract. Whether you're named Carlos or Jeff or Joe, it really doesn't mean anything. It's an abstract concept. But in Hebrew, the name of someone meant a whole lot. Because Jesus' name is Yeshua in Hebrew, which is derived from the Hebrew word yeshah, the verb yeshah, which means to save. So Yeshua means savior or salvation. See, that's why when Gabriel came to Mary, and said to him, you are to give him the name Yeshua, for he will save people from their sins. In fact, if you read the Hebrew and go throughout the Old Testament, you will see this name Yeshua or its derivatives again and again and again. For instance, in Isaiah 62 the prophecy of the Messiah who would come says, The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes, see your Yeshua comes. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. And so we must put our faith, much like the beggar, in the name of Jesus. For it is a worthy name. It is a name that has accomplished what it was set out to do. We see in verse 16 that it was by faith in the name of Jesus that this man was given complete healing. And in fact, that Greek word of complete healing is a very interesting word that he's used. It was used to talk about the sacrifices in the temple, the unblemished lamb, a lamb that could be brought into the presence of God because it was unblemished. It is in faith, on the basis of faith in the name of Jesus, that this person has been made acceptable to God. Well, how did the faith come to this man? Was he brighter? Was he more intelligent? Did he somehow figure out what no one else could? No. It came to him as a handout. See, if you remember in the beginning when Peter and John walked by, this man wasn't looking for faith. He was looking for money. You see, the beggar did not come to belief in Christ. Belief in Christ came to him. That's why it says in verse 16 that it is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given him healing. Jesus is not only the accomplisher of our salvation, He is the source of our faith, the author and the perfecter of our faith. To be sure, the beggar had a part to play, but it was one as a beggar receiving a handout, one who was receiving. And so Peter calls the crowd to do the same, to respond, to receive, and to return. Many of you are familiar with the 1944, if you're World War II history buff, the Battle of Bataan, which was one of the worst defeats in United States history. I believe it was a defeat. It certainly was a defeat in the cost of United States' lives. Thousands of U.S. American soldiers were killed, and thousands of them were captured. And they were forced on this death march uh, through Philippines. It was called the Bataan Death March to these concentration camps in a certain area of the Philippines. And one of those concentration camps was called Cabanatuan and there were a lot of people stationed there, but eventually some of the POWs were transferred and there were 500 prisoners at Cabanatuan. Well, in 1944, the Japanese knew that the war was doomed, and so they issued a kill-all policy, to kill all the prisoners to try to cover up the war atrocities in the Battle of Bataan. And so a daring plan was concocted by the Rangers of the 6th Army and guerrilla soldiers of the Philippine Army to rescue uh, these 500 soldiers. they had to go 30 miles behind enemy lines to Cabanatuan and to create a daring rescue attempt to try to get these people out before this kill-all order uh, was executed. And so it was 7:40 at night and dark when the compound erupted in small arms fire. When they assaulted, these rangers assaulted Cabanatuan. Well, the prisoners who had gotten word of this kill-all policy thought that it was the Japanese that had, were, were coming to attack and kill them and so they hid they hid in their beds, they hid in the latrines, they hid in the grass, they hid wherever they could because they were convinced that the Japanese were coming to kill them but when the rangers came in they were wearing different uniforms and so they resisted, they were sure this was a trick they had been beaten down so much that they resisted the force that was coming to save them literally the rangers had to resort to physical force to kick them out, to throw them out to get them out, and to get them to safety. And when they finally realized this, they were so malnourished that they had to be carried out, and they were so thin that some of these rangers actually carried out these guys, two men on their backs at a time. They went them out, they took them out. Well, the raid was ultimately successful. 489 POWs, 33 civilians, 492 American lives were saved. And equally astounding was the minimal loss of life two American soldiers. The the rescue was considered a a success by all accounts. I find it fascinating the reluctance of the people to be saved by the ones that were coming to save them. See, our situation is no different. Their faith was fragile and weak. The soldiers had to provide the faith for the people that had none. They had to carry them out on their back. The best that the person could do was receive and cling to this faith of the soldier that had come to got them, to come to get them. Well, our situation is extremely simple, extremely similar. See, I can say, well, it's so easy, just take your price tag off something and put it somewhere else. But we know the truth of the matter is it's not easy at all, is it? Switching this price tag isn't easy. There has to be someone that comes into our world. Someone that gets us. Someone that gives us the faith that we do not have. And that someone is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who comes in and provides us with the faith. It's Jesus that comes in and carries us out on His back. But unlike Cabanatuan, the cost of life to rescue us as prisoners was not minimal. See, there was only way, one way for us to come out. Jesus Christ had to switch the price tags Himself. See, it was Jesus who had the price tag around His neck of the beloved Son. The one, the favored one of God, the blessed one, the glorious one. That was the title, the name, the kavod of Jesus Christ. But around our neck was the price tag of sinner, forsaken, cursed one. And so it was Jesus that came into our world that took this price tag off of our necks and put it on himself so that he could take this price tag and he could put it around our necks. See, Jesus carried us out on his back. And the way he carried us out on his back was getting up on a cross and dying for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we were healed. What do we do with such love? We must simply receive it and respond to it. Receive the faith that Jesus Christ has given us. Take hold of Christ who has taken hold of us. And so we repent of our sins and we turn to God in faith that He will take off our garment of shame and He will give us a garment of praise. We return to Christ and allow Him to remove this price tag of sinner and give us this price tag of saint. Because it's only when we truly choose to see who Jesus is that we can experience what Jesus truly gives. And so if we do so, if we recognize and we return to Christ by His grace, we will experience His refreshing. I love in verse 19 where Paul calls on people to repent. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. See, when we turn to Christ, when when we get on the back, his great and glorious back, he frees us, he takes off this mantle, this sin that weighs around us. You know, this price tag is like a giant chain waiting us down to death. And instead, he gives us this tag which buoys us up and gives us life. Colossians 2.14 put it this way, when you were dead in your sins and transgressions, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. See, this was a death sentence, my friends. And He took away our death sentence and He gave us a sentence of life. And so the times of refreshing have begun for the people of God that will ultimately come and culminate at the end. See, when you get this price tag, you get all the benefits that come with it. You get the favor of God, to be the blessed one of God, to wear the tag of Christ is to receive the blessings of Christ. We receive the blessing of His love, that as the Father has loved the Son, so has the Father loved you and me. We receive the blessings and the benefits of sonship, that we receive a new name, that we're no longer the cursed one, but we're the privileged one, the member of the family. We receive new privileges, a room that's being prepared for us. You know, I love the, the, the fight of the two kids in the, in, the, in the playground. My dad can beat up your dad. No, my dad can beat up your dad. Guess what? Our dad can beat up anybody's dad. Because he is the God of the universe, and through Jesus Christ, he who was our enemy becomes our Father. We receive the benefits of relationships that were brought into the family with one another, brothers and sisters, through Jesus Christ. We who have been estranged are being brought together as the family of God. New parents to watch over us the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and new responsibilities. Ain't it great to be a part of a family where God is raising us up into a kingdom that we will one day inherit? And there are responsibilities that come along with that. And it's part of the responsibility of the church to teach you those wonderful responsibilities. You know, the, this blessing came to the beggar. Why? Because of Peter and John walking in faith as children of the living God, being responsive to the Holy Spirit. We struggle with this refreshing. I know we do. I do. There's a part of us that wants to go back to this old tag. I don't understand it fully, why we would want to, but we struggle with it. See, this is a process by which God is growing us up into our new identity, that we're learning to cling less and less to the person we used to be and more and more to the person that we have become. God's gift and His call are irrevocable. Finally, God gives us a new future. We see that the times of refreshing are coming that will ultimately come and culminate when He sends the one who has been appointed for us, Jesus Christ. Although we are with Him now in spirit, that He's come to us, eventually we will be with Him in uh, in person. And the need for faith will fall away and we'll receive the fullness of the inheritance, the fullness of the glory of God. And so we must wait patiently as God is working day to day to get a place ready for us and us ready for that place. Many of you are familiar with the the story, the Chronicles of Narnia and that great first story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in which Aslan, C.S. Lewis, who made in the picture of Christ, goes and he dies for the sins of uh, of, uh, Edmund, thank you so much, who has betrayed him. And so uh, it's Lucy and I can't remember the other gal. Thank you. <laughs> who come and they watch the lion who is killed on the great stone table as he dies this ignominious death as he's shaved and bound and and killed and and they are uh, they're crushed and they they sit weeping through the night because they don't know what to do their their hopes have been lost. But in the morning there's a great uh, as the sunrise comes if you've seen the movie or you've read the book. Uh, there's this great noise and, and something occurs and I want to read you the section here out of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and they hear and they hear the voice of Aslan and he says, yes, says a great voice from behind their backs, it is more magic. They looked round, and there shining in the sunrise larger than they had seen him shaking his mane for it had apparently grown again stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children staring up at him. almost as much frightened as they were glad. But what does it all mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer? It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still that she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further into the stillness, she would have read that there was a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery, was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack, and death itself would start to work backwards. My friends, death is working backwards for those who believe in his name. If you are a Christian, the blessings and benefits of Christ are for you. You are a blessed one. You are the favored son and daughter. And so you must understand who you are. You must look at your tag often. You must look to your Heavenly Father for validation by reading His Word, going to Him in prayer, asking one another and encouraging one another. We understand what is coming, that even in death, death is working backwards. We are not perfected yet, but we must give one another grace, for at its proper time, God will glorify us. And so I conclude with this thought We all stand with tags. They're tags that we choose. Tags which bring life and tags which bring death. Which will you choose? It's the choices that we make that reveal who we are far more than our gifts and abilities. God has made a way to lift up the tag of condemnation and to replace it with the tag of blessing. If you are not a believer, will you take it? recognize and respond, receive his faith and the refreshing that comes from the Lord. And if you're a believer in Christ, don't be fooled by the cheap imitations, by those who would diminish your inheritance and trick you. For Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears the words of mine and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has crossed over from death to life. For it's only when we choose to see who Jesus truly is, that we can experience what Jesus has truly done. What we truly see is what we truly get. Let's pray.